You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We'll get to those stories in just a moment, but we start with breaking news in Kamloops. Right now, fire crews are battling a fire at Kamloops Park Crest Elementary. Details are just coming into the newsroom. We can tell you that the call came in around 5 o'clock. It's not believed that any students were left in the school, but it was open today. The thick smoke can be seen throughout the city. No word yet on a cause, but we'll update this story for you as soon as more information and images become available. But again, a fire at an elementary school in Kamloops certainly troubling for people in that neighborhood. All right, Vancouver police are investigating dozens of thefts that leave many downtown buildings and their occupants at risk of an out-of-control fire. Someone is stealing the standpipe connections, the pipe that allows firefighters to pump water up into multi-story structures. Jordan Armstrong explains why lives are in danger. When flames break out in a high-rise, firefighters rely on ground-level standpipe connections to feed water to upper floors. But lately, more than 60 of the metal devices have been stolen. This poses a huge safety concern. A concern because the backup option is to run hose lines up stairwells, a heavy lift that eats up crucial time in an emergency. We'll delay firefighting efforts in the setup of putting additional hose lines inside. He says stolen standpipe caps have been a problem for years, but theft of the entire connection is new for Vancouver. We do have video of a person with a battery-operated grinder cutting the connection to loosen it up and then physically turning it off with a wrench to get it off the building. Most of the thefts are happening in the wee hours of the morning and often several at a time. A number of blocks have been looted, including here, the 900 block of Granville. A building on Cordova, home to Devin Stacy's tattoo shop, was also hit. It doesn't surprise me that there's a lot of theft coming, like, uh, you know, on the rise. Some of the owners who are just um, long-standing business owners of mom-and-pop shops in the city, uh, one of them, they've had to replace it five times now. Repairs that cost hundreds, if not thousands of dollars, while the scrap value of the metal is maybe 15 bucks. We are working with the salvage yards in Vancouver who are very, being very cooperative and relaying any information regarding these standpipes which may come into them. So far, no arrests and no suspects identified. Police want property owners to check their buildings, believing the true number of thefts is much higher. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Some more breaking news now, and it involves a man charged with killing his family. A surprising turn of events in which Jacob Foreman suddenly reversed his plea. In court, he admitted to the first-degree murder of his two young daughters and the second-degree murder of his wife, Clara, in December of 2017. His lawyer says Foreman is an alcoholic and, at the time, suddenly stopped drinking and was going through severe withdrawal symptoms when he killed his wife and daughters. Sentencing is expected later this month. The father of BC fugitive Briar Schmigelski has now seen a video clip of his son recorded just before Briar took his own life. It's described as his last will and testament. Briar Schmigelski and Cam McLeod captured worldwide attention this summer as suspects in three murders in northern BC. Their bodies were discovered on August 7th near the Nelson River in northern Manitoba, 
both dead of self-inflicted gunshot wounds, according to the coroner. Schmigelski's lawyer says an agreement was made to see the video that would both protect the investigation and acknowledge Schmigelski's rights as a parent. As you can imagine, my client was extremely emotional um, given the circumstances. It wasn't an easy thing for him to see. I am not able to make any comment about the video, the contents of the video, uh, what's on the video, not at this point, not while my client is bound by his non-disclosure agreement. Surrey RCMP are releasing an image of a suspect vehicle they're looking for in connection with Tuesday's shooting in Fraser Heights. Take a look. Police want to find this black Dodge Journey believed to be involved in the shooting near 11th Avenue and 160th Street. This comes after investigators put out a warning yesterday about one of the men shot, 35-year-old Thomas Gabriel Saul, who they say has been the target in two shootings this summer and poses a risk anywhere he goes in public. Anyone with information about the truck or any additional information about the shooting is asked to compact, uh, conduct, uh, contact Surrey RCMP. A warning from RCMP about a fraudster targeting trusting elderly victims. Investigators now identify the suspect as Donald Robert Quinnell of Chilliwack. RCMP say Quinnell presents himself as well-dressed, well-mannered, and approaches lone elderly people under the pretense of either needing or offering help. He's suspected in incidents in North Vancouver, West Vancouver, and Vancouver. We're hoping that uh, people in the community will keep their eyes open and watch for uh, this gentleman, Mr. Quinnell, and also to help keep an eye on the elderly um, senior citizens in our community. RCMP say Quinnell is arrestable for at least nine offenses in North Vancouver, Multiple charges in all three jurisdictions are anticipated in the near future. Quinnell is also the subject of an outstanding Canada-wide warrant for breach of probation. Two weeks after eviction notices were issued to tent city residents in Vancouver's Oppenheimer Park, Mayor Kennedy Stewart is asking the park board to relinquish control of the green space so the city can implement its own solution. Jill Bennett explains how the city believes it can better address the problem and what the chances are the park board will cede authority. It might be difficult to believe just two weeks ago, more than 100 people living in this park were moved into housing. There are still dozens of tents and no signs of any more enforcement. We will respond to calls as needed. Uh, but we won't be removing tenters at this time. But Vancouver's mayor wants the park cleaned up and returned to the neighborhood. So he's entertaining the idea of the city taking over jurisdiction temporarily from the park board. The, uh, the park board was not created to deal with very, very tough social issues. And I think that's, uh, that's the problem we have here and we just have to work that out. Excuse us guys, let's get some room. But a previous park board did deal with these issues in 2014, getting an injunction to remove campers from Oppenheimer Park. So far, it doesn't appear the current board is ready to take that step, even though NPA commissioners support the idea. I understand people want to be sensitive, but at some point you need to have a clean and safe park for everybody. So I hope the board will step up. Uh, I'm very concerned about the mayor talking about jurisdiction. Cooper says rather than taking the unprecedented step of taking over Oppenheimer Park, the mayor could maybe focus on other areas that clearly need attention. I would invite the mayor to walk along Hastings Street, which is entirely in his jurisdiction, and he's been the mayor for a year, and I have not seen any 
uh, improvement in that area. In fact, I think people will tell you they feel more unsafe in that part of the city. It's unclear at this point if the city does take jurisdiction, when or if that will even happen, because it does require a two-thirds majority vote with both the park board and the city voting in favor. The park board is meeting this month. It's unclear, though, if this issue will be on the agenda. Jill Bennett, Global News. A fatal crash during the morning rush in South Surrey forced the closure of a major traffic artery. RCMP called to 40th Avenue near 176th Street just before 7 o'clock this morning for a two-vehicle crash. Police say one driver was pronounced dead at the scene while the other was taken to hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. RCMP say alcohol and drugs do not appear to be factors in the crash. A political war of words erupting out of the B.C. legislature. The spat involves the arrest and the deportation of several workers at Hastings Racetrack last month and the parallel investigation of a government employee. The Attorney General addressed the situation August 27 and suggested the problems at racetracks in B.C. should have been well known to the previous Liberal government. Liberal MLA Mike DeYoung has publicly chided the Attorney General, accusing him of using his position to improperly play politics. EB Today addressed the situation again, providing documents dated 2016 that spell out allegations of security issues and drug use at BC racetracks. While documents suggest the Liberal government looked at the issue, EB has his doubts. I think that if Minister DeYoung had had a look at it, uh, then he uh, would have been more likely to find what we did uh, when we looked at the issue of security and access to the backstretch, uh, which was uh, allegations of, uh, of uh, corruption of a provincial employee, uh, very serious allegations of the exploitation of, uh, of unlicensed and undocumented workers, and, uh, and re- required action, including uh, placing a provincial employee on leave. Mike DeYoung responded this afternoon, noting the issue came up just before the last provincial election, and he's questioning why the Attorney General is pointing fingers at the Liberals on a file the NDP have had two years to deal with. The Liberals are extending the blame game with a number of local billboards as well. The opposition putting them up, blaming the Horgan government for the ongoing financial crisis at ICBC. For his part, the Premier says his government inherited the so-called financial dumpster fire from the Liberals and are taking steps to get things back on track. When we came in, the prospect was a 40% increase. That's not happening. And that's a lot of hard work, working with drivers, working with uh, uh, traffic safety initiatives to try and bring those costs down. We haven't hit the bar uh, for some. We're going to do our level best to make sure over the term of our government that we keep costs down for people. And on the federal front, the election is expected to be called any time. And Global News has crunched the latest numbers taken from pollsters at the end of August to get a picture of what voters are thinking. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria with more on what the numbers show, Keith. Yeah, Chris, uh, you know, we're going to see a lot of polls between now and October 21st, which is the election day. In fact, we expect the election to be called as early as this Sunday. And what we've done, what David Aiken, our global colleague in Ottawa, has done is taken an aggregate reading of five different pollsters. And these all pollsters all have pretty good track records. Angus Reid, Ipsos, Leger, Dart, and Abacus. He's crunched the numbers, and this is what we've come up with in terms of an aggregate uh, reading of where the parties stand. Pretty close. Conservatives lead at 34.8%. No change from the aggregate 
aggregate polling of a month ago. Liberals close behind, but a drop down one point. Uh, the NDP a bit of a climb to 15 percent and the Greens showing no change at 6.7 percent. Uh, David's further crunched the numbers to see what we can look at in terms of a seat count in the House of Commons. When you start looking at the provincial uh, breakdown where the Conservatives are very strong in Alberta and the Prairies, but not a lot of seats there. Look at this. The Liberals, even though they're behind in popular vote, would lead the seat count with 154. That's not a majority, though. The Conservatives close behind. Uh, on the very right there is 154. That's how many ridings are considered to be close or toss-up. So it's still anybody's game. Right now, though, uh, based on public opinion, we'd be looking at a minority government uh, led by Justin Trudeau and hoping with being propped up by either uh, the, Green, the NDP or the Bloc. But it's still a lot of time to go before October 21st. No doubt there is. Okay, it's going to be active between now and then. Thanks, Keith. Right now, though, more tonight on the seemingly never-ending controversy around ride-hailing in this province. Today, stakeholders are reacting to a lawsuit filed by the taxi industry and a letter sent by the province to the Passenger Transportation Board that critics claim exerts inappropriate influence. Ted Chernecki reports. The speed limit on the road to ride sharing in BC may have to be reduced if one's to read all the signs this week. The Premier's Chief of Staff meeting with the Taxi Association over its concerns. Because that's what governments do. We interact with people all the time. The Transportation Minister writing a letter to the supposedly independent Passenger Transportation Board asking it to review this idea of no cap on the number of ride sharing vehicles. This Minister, I'd heard from uh, stakeholders, from mayors, from others, some concerns. And I relayed that information to them, but in doing so, uh, underlining this, my support for their decision. And the Taxi Association itself filing a petition asking the Supreme Court to strike down those ride-sharing rules announced last month. The taxi industry is going to do what it has to do to protect itself. What they have to understand is, is that no one wants the taxi industry to disappear. What we'd like to see the taxi industry do is become more competitive. The opposition already suggesting the New Democrats are trying to pressure a board that's supposed to be independent. What about the autonomy of the Passenger Transportation Board, though? Are you guaranteeing that it will indeed be autonomous? Absolutely. Uh, there, there's nothing in uh, Minister Trevena's correspondence to uh, the board that's inconsistent with the direction that we gave at the outset. Supporters of ride-sharing say this sudden flurry of concern happened in most cities in North America as the reality drew near. Politicians needing to be seen to be caring. But we also want to make sure that the family businesses that have been regulated heavily regulated for decades, don't just find themselves on the sidewalk with nothing to do. Asked today if ride-sharing will still happen before Christmas, the Premier isn't being specific. Others, more optimistic. I think that we'll see something by November. I'm very confident we're going to be seeing ride-hailing, thanks to the hard work of our government. Um, we're going to see ride-hailing later this year. Ted Chernaki, Global News. A quick look now at what could end up being the most expensive and difficult highway expansion project in all of Canada. The province providing an update today on the Kicking Horse Canyon four-laning project east of Golden, which goes through some very challenging terrain. Aerial video shows phase four of the project, the west portal to Yoho Bridge, before construction. The latest cost estimate for the fourth phase is $601 million. That's a $151 million increase since the budget in 2016. We are working with the local communities and we will have a bypass um, going south towards Radium Hot Springs and then back up um, to Highway 1. So we are working with community about how best to do this, but we are looking at how to make sure that the 
work can go say, as safely as possible. And we have an extraordinarily difficult section of highway we're trying to work on, and we need to make sure that we have the ability to do it um, as safely as possible. The reason most students go to university is to expand their minds, get a better job with a decent paycheck, and live a good life. But that schooling can come with a price, often tens of thousands of dollars in debt. And as we hear from Sonia Deal, there are ways to keep the red to a minimum. Class of 2023, I can't hear you. Over 7,000 new students at UBC's pep rally this week going in to get a degree. I'm super excited. But set to come out with a staggering debt. In BC, on average, students are graduating from a four-year degree with about $35,000 in debt. When I'm done school, it'll be around 38000 it's the inevitable facts of university life. So what can students do to lessen the cost? The first thing, say experts, is to have a budget and a plan. Going into it blind with your fingers crossed, I hope it'll turn out. I think that's when you leave yourself susceptible. If you go in with a plan, you'll be in a much better position. Apply for scholarships and bursaries at your university. Scholarships typically based on merit. Bursaries more about a student's financial need. Unlike loans, this is money you don't have to pay back. But they can be hidden, so the advice is to really ask about them on campus. $100 million UBC announcing extra money raised through a fundraising campaign just this week. They now want to double that by 2022. We want to make it as, as affordable as possible for them to, to receive a UBC degree. The message for parents is to start early. Parents start thinking about it when the kids are 16 or 17, when they're starting to think about going to post-secondary. The reality is it's too late by then. Financial advisor David Yan says open an RESP when your child is young. It can really offset the costs. And this is where the government of Canada contributes 20% of the first $2,500 of annual contributions to an RESP in any given year. So if you can imagine, if you can put $2,500 into an RESP, the government will kick in $500 on your behalf. In BC, the province also offers the Training and Education Savings Grant, a one-time grant of $1,200 to a child's RESP with no matching contributions required. To be eligible, a child has to be between the ages of six and nine. Easiest $1,200 you can get for your child's education. And for students today... Stay away from credit cards. The interest rates charged on credit cards are about as high as you will find anywhere. A life-changing journey filled with a lot of excitement, but also a ton of responsibility starting for students this week. Sonia Diol, Global News. Of course, students have to get to uni university first, and uh, that brings us to the topic of portables. The focus is often on Surrey, which has a ton of them, but they aren't the only district seeing exponential growth. In fact, the ratio of students in portables is actually higher in Chilliwack, and as Nadia Stewart explains, that isn't the only challenge facing this fast-growing district. It's the same story at just about every school in Chilliwack. They have and need more portables. We've got pretty much exponential growth. We've been growing at about 2.5% since 2015. This year, that amounts to about 300 new students. At Better Middle School, it means they need two more portables, bringing the total here to 12. In almost most of our schools, on both the north side and the south side, the capacity has exceeded 100%. As a school district, we've exceeded our functional capacity. 
Often when we talk about portable, Surrey gets all the attention. But when you break down the numbers, for every thousand students in Chilliwack, there are about seven portables. In Surrey, the student-to-portable ratio is five, and that's based on last September's numbers. We won't get away from portables. We won't. Chilliwack Board Chair Dan Coulter says they have nearly 100 units with about 25 kids in each one. We would need to build several schools quite quickly just to get rid of them. And as long as we grow, I think we'll, we'll be under this pressure. What was once a small town is now a city where the population is expected to hit 100,000 by the year 2021. A city in the midst of a growth spurt. Problem is Chilliwack is surrounded by agricultural land, so growth is limited. The ministry has approved two new capital projects, a high school on this site and a new art school in this building, formerly belonging to University of the Fraser Valley. It's part of the Ministry of Education's province-wide three-year capital plan. This is the largest school construction campaign we've had in decades in British Columbia. It's going to pay off. And in the meantime, we do have to acknowledge some of the frustrations and ask for patience from students, staff and parents. Patience while they play catch up, making room in a district where space is hard to come by. Nadia Stewart, Global News. The impact of Hurricane Dorian already being felt in parts of South Carolina. Mass power outages leaving more than 240,000 customers in the dark. Wind gusts of close to 140 kilometers an hour have made it difficult for crews on the bucket trucks to repair all the damage. In the Bahamas, 20 people are confirmed dead and that number is expected to rise as rescue crews work their way through some of the hardest hit areas. These images are from Abaco, which is home to thousands of Haitian immigrants. Dorian has become the strongest hurricane to ever hit the Bahamas, wiping out entire neighborhoods. In the Bahamas, it's the nonstop mission with no wind in sight. This family pulled from the Raddock one by one just in time. So this is terrible. Rescues by air and sea, searching for people on the devastated Abaco Island. It literally looked like we were bombed. Everything in Abaco is gone. Thousands are still missing, and the death toll rising. It was absolutely uh, apocalyptic, and that word I've used deliberately. People here still in shock. I had to hold my baby up for like an hour or two just to keep her from, from drowning. Those lucky enough to be rescued rush to this Nassau hospital. Um, one lady saw her family wash away in, in, in the sea and so you have to deal with the emotional aspect as well as the physical injury. One survival story after another. I watched my friends die in front of me. Leon Lazard saved his brother's life. As water rushed in, the two punched a hole into the roof where he clung to his brother who nearly slipped away. If I let him go, he would have gone in the wind with the surge. Washed away. Washed away. The two trapped on that roof with nearly 30 others as the deadly storm surge overtook everything. The surge, you couldn't even look in the, in the rain because it was burning your eyes, hitting you like, like pebbles. Still, Leon considers himself one of the lucky ones. Like so many others finally being reunited after days apart, not knowing if they would ever see each other again. Is there anything left in your town? The only thing we have right now is the courage of the people. Courage now tested, and the countless others rescuers are still trying to find. Morgan Chesky, NBC News, Nassau, Bahamas.
is such a big storm. What's left of Dorian is on track to hit Atlantic Canada this weekend. And Yvonne Shell joins us now in for Christy with more on that. Yvonne? Yes, Chris, and we're watching it very closely right now. It's sitting as a Category 2. We can see the winds over 160 kilometers per hour and the gusts over 200. It's got a northeasterly movement right now at about 16 kilometers per hour. Now the track of it will continue. It is closing in on the Carolinas, but as it moves into Atlantic Canada, it will be for the weekend, both Saturday, Sunday, and the main threat along Atlantic Canada, rather, will be the storm surge. We're seeing winds potentially over 160 kilometers per hour, so we'll continue to track it very closely for the weekend. Chris? All right, thanks very much, Yvonne. The problems are piling up for British Prime Minister Boris Johnson. In addition to losing another vote in Parliament over Brexit, his own brother is now bailing on him, making the announcement in a tweet fellow Tory Joe Johnson is resigning as MP and Minister, saying he's torn between family loyalty and the national interest. Point of order, the Prime Minister. We're great. It looks as though Boris Johnson is very much on the back foot. As of this morning, he has one of the rare distinctions of having lost three parliamentary votes introduced by the Prime Minister in his very recent time since he took office only a couple of months ago over the summer. Yesterday, he lost one vote, his first vote in Parliament. He now wants to dissolve Parliament. He's desperate, absolutely desperate. I know he's worried about free trade deals with America, but there's only one chlorinated chicken that I can see in this house, and he's on that bench. Now, it looks as though Boris Johnson is trying to go to a new early election, probably either in October or November. It seems as though his hands are tied on that, and this comes after a vote that would enjoin Boris Johnson to go back to the European Union in Brussels and basically beg them for a delay on this deadline that's coming up on October 31st that would see Britain crashing out of the European Union with or without a deal. Now Boris Johnson has to go back to the European Union and ask them for a delay maybe until the end of January. It's going to be hard to see how the Prime Minister wiggles out of this one, but he's been a political survivor before, so don't count him out yet. Matt Bradley, NBC News, London. All right, we want to take you back to that breaking news out of Kamloops. Crews tackling a fire at an elementary school. This is unfolding at Parkcrest Elementary. The call came in around 5 o'clock. You can see from the photos, the thick smoke can be seen throughout the city right now. No word on how it started or if anybody was inside when it did. Traffic is being rerouted in the area. Witnesses tell Global News that this could end up with the school being a total loss. Thankfully, it is not believed that any students were left in the school, but it was open today. And again, more details as soon as we get them. We'll pass them along to you. In Health Matters tonight, the launch of an important new initiative for female students as the school year kicks off. All schools across the province will soon be offering access to free menstrual products in school washrooms. Sarah McDonald has more on the importance of this change and when it's expected to be in every school across BC. What is that? <laughs> no. I need to go, I'm sorry. It's something half the population has intimate knowledge of and experience with on a monthly basis. Yet somehow, in some circles, it is still considered taboo. To talk about periods. And the problems they all too often pose. The uh, lack of access to uh, menstrual products. Uh, for students uh, in schools. Something the province pledged to change earlier this year, reannouncing its mandate on Thursday that all districts supply menstrual products in public schools by the end of December. 
It's only normal that roughly half the school's population experiences menstruation. What's unnatural is the stigma and the problems that many have faced by simply having their period. Yet even still, you don't have to go far to find critics of publicly funded menstrual products, often conflating menstruation with ejaculation, urination, and defecation. All bodily functions that, for the most part, can be controlled in a public setting, even largely voluntary, something that anyone who's experienced it can tell you menstruation is not. It's not something that we can just stop. Which is why these senior high school students in Coquitlam are taking the initiative one step further, successfully campaigning city council to supply menstrual products and dispensers in public places. We don't have to ask for toilet paper. We don't have to, like buy toilet paper and bring it to public washrooms with us. It's something that's so necessary for women and it's something that we can't go without. The city launching a four-month pilot project in October to test out the initiative before deciding whether to keep and expand it. It's a matter of gender equality and equity for women to have these things readily available. As the next generation leads the charge in bringing an innovative initiative out of schools and to the streets. Sarah McDonald, Global News. Redcaps backtrack after banning a fan. We'll tell you what that's all about coming up right after the weather forecast with Yvonne Shell right now and more summer-like weather in the forecast. Yvonne. It's been beautiful, Chris. It's summer in September and we'll continue to see another warm day for tomorrow. If you're not a fan of the heat, we've got a bit of a reprieve on the way and I'll show you more in just a moment. Overlooking the North Shore Mountains on our tower cam, temperatures today warming up into the low 20s, but with the humidex feeling closer to 27, areas away from the water into the low 30s. Hope today at 33 degrees and then inland across the island also pushing at 30. Here's the next weather maker. We are keeping a close eye that's going to move in across the province, bring that change, cooler temperatures and some moisture moving in. The ridge is going to weaken, push its way towards the east. A low is going to push its way in across the province and it'll likely be Sunday and into Monday that we are going to be seeing some moisture. By tomorrow morning, it's an increase in cloud cover for the northern half of the province. The central interior will see some late day cloud. We've got morning fog patches for the south coast, mainly sunny through the day, a hot one, and then it's late Sunday into Monday that we're going to be seeing that change. Cooler temperatures, but still another warm one tomorrow with many spots away from the water getting up to 28 and 29. A drier day for your start to your morning across the north, and then by the afternoon and evening, a chance of showers, mostly cloudy for the northeastern corners, the central interior tomorrow with a mix of sun and cloud, the southern interior hot and sunny, Kamloops getting up to 32 degrees. We do still have some morning fog patches and then mainly sunny through the day right across the south coast. Highs tomorrow away from the water, 28 and up to 29 degrees. Saturday, cloud cover. It should remain dry if you do have plants. It's Sunday, late and towards our Monday. It is going to cool off. We are tracking a few showers and our weather window for this evening. A beautiful shot that was taken in the Fraser Valley from Jackie at sunset. Chris? Corn's getting high. All right. Thanks very much, Yvonne, and thanks, Jackie, for sending that in. More controversy for the Vancouver Whitecaps today in what's become a forgettable season. Campbell River resident Joshua Griffith, who travels regularly to watch the team play, received a call this morning saying he'd been banned for the final three games for bringing an anti-fascist sign to the team's most recent home game. He was told the sign violated a code of conduct that prohibits political messaging. But late this afternoon... Josh received an email from the team saying he should only have received a warning. Regrettably, there was an internal communication error on this matter. 
The intent was to provide you with a warning for breaching the code of conduct as it relates to political signage and advise you that future breaches of this code of conduct would result in an immediate ban. The Whitecaps fan club, the Southsiders, weighed in too, issuing a statement this afternoon saying in part, the ban of the Iron Front logo on signage is ridiculous. Joshua's message was one of resistance to bigotry, one that's perfectly in line with MLS's own campaigns to promote diversity. Let's hope that's the last distraction after... Uh, well, considering what, how many empty the seats they've had this year, I don't think you should be chasing fans away. <laughs> that Multi, might have helped. Multi-talented, if, yeah. we, if you were a makeup artist and a sports director. If I was, but I can't do both. I'll no. just take, take, stick to sports here. <laughs> Apparently I put too much right over here, so don't be freaked out. Uh, of all the players the Canucks acquired this summer, JT Miller is the one who the Canucks really need to perform to expectations. They paid a rather big price for him in a trade with Tampa. He is versatile. He's played in all sorts of situations during his career with the Rangers and the Lightning. But in Vancouver, he must be a goal-producing, be it scoring or setting up goals, top six forward. JT Miller won't make his Canucks regular season debut for another four weeks, but he's already got a big spotlight on him. Jim Benning felt confident enough in Miller's ability that he gave up a first-round draft pick for him. Miller's always been a very good support player in the NHL. Now he's expected to make more of an impact at the top of the lineup. You know, I want responsibility. You know, I want to be a big part of the team. And, and like you said, I'm very aware of what happened. And you know, I take that to heart and make sure that I know I need to be ready for camp and come in and make a good first impression. Miller will cycle around. He's got it now. Back to Kucherov. Back up Miller played with the likes of Steve Stamkos and Hart Trophy winner Nikita Kucherov last season in Tampa. Now in Vancouver, he could be with Elias Pettersson and Brock Besser to form the number one line. But his versatility is something Travis Green will enjoy. My whole career I've played up and down the lineup and I think that has been a, uh, an attribute of mine as I could you know, help you know, any line. and. Or, uh, and play all three positions. So I think that that's going to help. And you know, I'm not 100% sure what's going to shake down here or shake up here in the next couple weeks. But you know, I'm ready for whatever role is going to be asked of me. Miller has had a 23-goal season and two 22-goal seasons the past four years. But safe to say the Canucks are looking for that total to go up, especially if he plays with Pedersen. Miller thinks he's very capable of scoring more, but it will take a bit of a mindset change. That's something I'm really trying to work on to shoot the puck more. I think I have a good shot. Um, kind of always been a pass-first guy, though, so it's kind of a double-edged sword there. i got to shoot the puck more, and um, you know, I think I'm capable of beating the goalie. So I just got to make sure that when it's there, I'm not passing up too many opportunities and trying to get him to the net. Miller's production this year could be the difference between the Canucks getting back to the playoffs or not. But Miller knows that young core will have a lot more to do with it than him. The young guys have been had their year or two under their belt. And I'm excited to see what, what they're going to do you know, with, that, with that little bit of experience in the NHL because all it takes is a, you know, a year or two to really understand the ins and outs of what it takes to be a pro full-time. And I th I'm really excited to see the potential and uh, have a really good season. I could just read like this and look pensive. How's that? <laughs> uh, this Saturday, the Canucks prospects will start a three-day camp at Rogers Arena. And in that group will be defenseman Ole Olevi, who has still not played an NHL game despite being the fourth overall pick in the 2016 draft. This year he's coming into camp after knee surgery, and because of that, the Canucks will be careful with him. There'll be some days that, you know, we're going to have to pull him off the ice and, 
and you know depending on how it goes with his the and this is just normal rehab and coming off a, a major knee surgery so if if everything is going good and he feels good every day he'll be out there every day uh, if it's not if we think like there's some days we need he needs to take a step back our goal is to get him ready for the start of the season i feel great i think uh, i had a lot of time doing my uh, workouts and stuff now because i couldn't play so I think I'm in a great shape and I'm going to keep my all on the camp. All right, Bianca Andreescu, can she make the final of the U.S. Open? Standing in her way is Belinda Bencic of Switzerland. First set. Easy firepower and the come on from Andreescu. No, no service breaks yet. Bencic up 2-1. Now it's 2-2. There's the first one of the night from Andreescu. Switzerland. Oh, what a shot. That is a nice shot by Benjic. Great backhander down the line. Andrescu fought off three break points here to tie the match up 3-3. They are in the first set. Earlier, Serena Williams trying to reach the finals against Alina Svitolina of the Ukraine. Serena completely on her game. Healthy, <laughs> strong, powerful, devastating. Oh, did I mention fast? No, how about that too? Fast. That's a great point. We all want to see it. Bianca against Serena. Rematch. Yeah, although the first time they met at the Rogers Cup, Serena had to bail because of the injury. That's why. But now, She's going in, looking a lot healthier. U.S. Open final is next for Serena. Hey, the NFL season began tonight, or has begun, 100th NFL season. Traditional rivalry, Packers-Bears. First touchdown of the season, it's Jimmy Graham, the former Seahawk. That wasn't a great pass by Aaron Rodgers, but it worked out. 7-3 late in the second for the Packers over the Bears. There you go. It's a question drivers who take the nasty tunnel ask themselves regularly. How bad is the delay and should I take a different route? Now one enterprising young man has come up with a time-saving solution. He's created an app for that. John Waugh explains how it works and the reviews so far. It's the torturous trip Christopher Peroznik and so many others make almost every day. That tunnel completely controls my life. The George Massey between Delta and Richmond making life utterly miserable for this 23-year-old UBC student from Ladner. The traffic congestion causing him to miss classes and be shut out from exams. I hate it. I, I absolutely hate the Massey Tunnel. Strong words for one of the worst bottlenecks in British Columbia. But ask people living on either side of the underwater crossing what they think and their descriptions get downright vicious. That's there's so many bad words, but most of them start with swear words. <laughs> Peroznik, who is double majoring in business and computer science, decided a smartphone app might be a more positive approach. And I took all the major hotspots. So if you're leaving from Ladner, you're leaving from the Tim Hortons out on the highway, you're coming southbound, you're coming northbound. I give a rundown of all the major spots and how long it takes to get to the other side of the tunnel. Is the Massey Tunnel OK compiles and averages out? available traffic map data and combines it with highway cameras to tell drivers what the tunnel is like in real time. So I think the people who have to deal with rush hour would love that. I imagine everybody will be using it. There is still some contempt in the coding of the app, especially when it comes to the terms used when the tunnel travel time starts to climb. 
I love it when I get excruciating on there. It goes across the whole screen and it's just like exactly how you feel. The app, which is free, was downloaded more than a thousand times in the first 12 hours. This was the easiest app I've ever made and it blew up. I really didn't expect it. Just proof that people are looking for any traffic tool they can find as they wait to see the light at the end of the Massey Tunnel. John Hua, Global News. What a character and what a great <laughs> job. Well on his way as a computer programmer. All right, it's uh, 40 seconds left. We'll get another look at the forecast before we go. Your final look at your five-day forecast. So tomorrow, another hot one. We do have a few morning fog patches. They'll dissipate. It'll be mainly sunny, so very similar to what we're seeing today. A touch cooler as we approach the weekend, a reprieve. We are going to see more cloud cover. Should be dry on our Saturday, and then it's late Sunday into Monday that we could see some showers rolling in and quite cool and unsettled into early next week. Squire, how's your... You guys are right. I got a bit of an issue. You got a bit, you got a bit of a smudge. That's okay. I'm, I've got shiny bowling lanes on the top of my... Do you want to give the update? Uh, Benchic is up 6-5, still in the first set. All right. Go, Bianca. And enjoy the NFL for those of you who love it, like us. <laughs> Have a great night. Thanks for watching.